Welcome to the Lapsus Lima podcast. Please support us by signing up for member-exclusive content at lapsuslima.com. Hello, everyone. Today's episode is part one in a conversation with Kent Bloomer, architect and professor at Yale University. The series is made possible and sponsored by Texture Archazine. That's T number three x t u r e dot com the article entitled ornament as distinct from decoration can be found in texture issue number two hello ladies and gentlemen welcome to the lapsus lima podcast and today we have an interview with kent bloomer he is an american sculptor He's a professor and author who has been, in addition to teaching at the Yale School of Architecture for over 40 years, has an extremely well-known uh, and prolific uh, series of built works. Hello, David. Very good to uh, speak with you today. Same here. So what initially sparked this conversation was an article that you wrote in Texture magazine, which I thought raised an incredibly important issue, and that is the distinction between ornament and decoration. It's crucial. It's a crucial distinction. I, I've been teaching ornament for over 40 years to undergraduates at Yale and finally to graduates more and more, and... Um, it took me a long time to realize that without that distinction, we could have a long discussion and even do readings and not really know what we were talking about. Um, and so, um, yes, the word ornament is a Latin word. Even when you're teaching a student from Japan uh, and they're teaching ornament and you ask the student from Japan what ornament means, he or she will probably give you an answer that is imported into Japan from Latin. And uh, so the best thing to do is go to Latin itself or go, and, and the best, and one of the ways of doing that is to go to Plato's Academy, which was founded shortly after Plato, uh, around 600 BC, and was intact until um, around 700 AD in, as, as the way knowledge was processed in Europe. I was always struck by the fact that when, why did, why were there two words? If, if so many, in so many occasions, the words were conflated, why were there, and if were there two different words in the beginning that had two different fundamental meanings? And um, so with my colleague, Creston Jesperson, who was a great scholar on ornament, he's no longer alive, um, we did a journey from the present dictionaries right through to Diderot, the great dictionary of the Enlightenment. Uh, and then we started sort of navigating the Middle Ages when they didn't have dictionaries the way we do, uh, but they did have etymologies, which was the ancient use of the uh, of dictionary, and etymology was a hybrid between an encyclopedia and a, and a word meaning. And we landed 
eventually in the etymologies of Isidore of Seville, who was one of the last of the great um, etymologists of, of the Latin language. And in chapter 13, it became crystal clear what ornament was and how we could distinguish it from decoration. The chapter was entitled uh, the, the World and Its Parts, Mundos et Partibus. World, Mundos, met the, the universe or the big world around us. To fast forward on that one, it could that could take me too much time just to go into. It became apparent that the parts of the world that were illuminated by ornament were physical phenomena, such as the sun going around the planet, the circularity of the moon, any kind of motion that was fundamentally physical and could be interpreted through physics was the content of the parts of the world that were illuminated by ornament. In short, ornament is about physical phenomenon to begin with, not social. So it, sound, it sounds like it's a, a very, I almost want to say organic, but it goes deeper than what most people think of as organic because most people conflate that with uh, perhaps biological, but certainly geometric and physical having to deal with uh, the way the universe is constructed, the way that, that things physically fit to each other uh, or the elaboration of physics. Good question, uh, David. The, uh... The biological side, which would indicate that this physics does include our our living um, uh, pieces, um, is uh, written into Isidore's definition when he said that these parts of the world that that are illuminated as the elements of ornament are move of their own accord. That that is he. And indicated from the beginning that the uh, atoms, he even used the word atom, which is a microcosmic, it, it doesn't have to be a macrocosmic entity. The atoms in our body, in, in this case, or in anything, have a, a motor that moves them and makes them work of their own accord. Now, th this is ancient thinking. And we wouldn't use that today, although we in fact do, which is almost the subject of astrophysics. So if they move of their own accord, the, the stars and, and rivers, and he includes rainbows, one immediately applies to them a certain animus, a certain life force. And that, of course, that's picked up in religion. There's another question to build on there, I think, which is very important, especially as this is coming out of the humanistic tradition is that it almost brings up the question of Lucretius versus Aristotle, whereas yeah. Aristotle is arguing that uh, for a separation between the celestial being naturally in motion versus the terrestrial being naturally at rest and naturally still. And it, yes, sound, that's it, a very, yeah. it sounds like yeah. Isidore of Sevilla is asserting something Contra to Aristotle, which was not uncommon to do, even though the Enlightenment might want you to be convinced that people all thought the same back then. Uh, but is it sounds like there was a distinction that was at least out of the mainstream. Well, that distinction is is sort of hidden in hidden in there. The um, by saying that ornament was focusing on things in motion, or the motion 
of the parts of the world that he, he, he described, he was implying that the world, that the earth was stationary. It was a pre-Copernican idea. Um, and, and actually, this shows up very much in, in the appearance of ornament and architecture. If you look at a Greek temple and locate what, we're, what I'm trying to identify as ornament, you will see that the ornament is, is a form of scroll work, a form of scrolling geometry that, by the way, does include biological forms. In the West, those biological forms were, for the most part, de descended from the lotus or plant forms, whereas in the East, they were, were descended more from serpents, which is, which is another interesting discussion. Um, so if you look at the ancient temple, the Parthenon, its polychrome version, its reconstructed version done by scholars, you will see that the ornament is made up of, of, of a kind of animated geometry that seems to be moving around the edges, whereas the fundamental building is static. The great columns and the pediment are fixed in time, whereas the ornament and its repetitions are indicating movement in time. And that's one of the ways of separating ornament from the, the holders of ornament, like buildings. It's, it's good to assume that the building is at rest and then look for things which are in motion, which you can do with Lewis Sullivan's ornament, or at least visual motion, indicators of motion. Repetition itself is an indicator of motion. Well, yes, and it's certainly... Um... Well, people talking about uh, ABBA or ABA rhythms, uh, something that was you know, very popular to do for modernists in the 60s. Well, this is uh, directly in inspired by the Greek colonnade and the rhythm of repetition that happens when the human eye passes by it. That's right. The thing about the Greek colonnade as it matured was that it was packaged in, in, in a harmonic rectangle, if you wish. But the colonnade was sort of uh, a prelude to the more robust repetitions that took place in the ornament, in, in, in the graphic ornament on, on top of the pediment. So in the Greek, there, there was sort of a, uh, a situation in, in which the building was held to be at rest, held up by a row of columns holding up heavy weight, but fixed inside of certain ideal proportions. and then. The ornament was super added. I'll, I'll, I'll use a Victorian word. The ornament was imported into that fixation as something in more motion than that which it was ornamenting, than that which was holding ornament, yes. So the difference between the vitality, the, the motion, the organicity of ornament and the things that ornament ornaments remains the one between the sort of static and mobile. In decoration, I believe that you, uh, which is built on, even if if you go to Vitruvius on the concept of propriety, of 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 good taste, of what is culturally acceptable and in balance, um, so that when you get to decoration, you you go immediately into social variables, um, rather than physical ones or ones that seem to descend from physics. At that point. Think of architecture as, as being both ornamented and decorated. You can focus on the decoration, I think, more as a spatial variable 
This raises an issue that I think we should touch on, especially because we're crossing large currents of time, that there's a very important question of interpretation and distinct modes of not just expression, but of understanding of space, shape, and number. Oswald Spengler's argument for different cultures' understandings of shape and space. His main argument was that he was trying to understand how civilizations uh, grow, expand, and then fade. Just uh, like a planet revolving or like a plant living and dying, he thought civilizations did this, and lots of people get this sense intuitively. What he believed was that he could find a rigorous explanation, and so to try to uh, cut to the core, he talked about it in a lot of detail. What I want to cut to the core about is about architectural expression, is that he believed that rooted in how people in different cultures understood number and therefore physical shape, that would come out in how they construed their architecture. And so the for him, the Egyptians were about one-dimensionality, and even their 2D murals were on a one-dimensional progression. He argued that though the Greeks were highly inspired by the Egyptians, he said that the Greeks did something that the Egyptians didn't do, which was to push the statues out into the freestanding sculpture, the, uh, the column, and the colonnade became more of a singular entity. And so this was Greco-Roman, he called that Apollonian. Then beginning with actually the middle to late Roman period, what, uh, what Regal was calling the late Roman period, and then the Byzantine and the classical Arab period, he grouped under one civilization, which he called the Magian. And that was exemplified in a sense of cavernous, glittering interior space, like the Hagia Sophia. And then in the West, barely, barely starting with Charlemagne, but especially with the, ch the new church at uh, Saint-Denis, you had the Gothic, which was about linear expansion into space, which he called the Faustian, which he believed that in you know, 1917, he was in the middle of seeing that go into its terminal decline. So what I find very, very interesting about what you're saying is that there's a sense of there's a sense of time coming through the experience of of a sense of space. How do you feel that this this separation into different ways of construing space allows for the understanding of time and the unfolding or the efflorescence of ornament in the way that you've constructed it to be expressed? Do you think that it is more continuous than what Spengler argued, or would you feel like something like what he described inflects and colors uh, what, it, what is done? Yeah. No, I think those, 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 those are great thoughts, David. The physics of ornament as perhaps using what you started with more of, of, of a numerical that, uh, one. Uh, let's go back to the quadrivium. 
which was what everybody was studying up until fairly recently, the quadrivium of Pythagoras starts with a number, then it goes to geometry, then it goes to harmony, then it goes to ornament and cosmos. That ornament is the sum total of all of those things together, uh, or belongs in the arena when number, geometry, and harmony are combined in, in ever co complex structures. Interesting that that the that ornament, order, cosmos, all conflate together in the quadrivium as as the achievement. In that respect, number behaves very much like it would in geometry, you know, like uh, in Pythagoras, who established the 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 notion of basic repetition of, of long that, that turned in later to long-term projection to concepts like infinity, which became under question later on. But I guess what I'm trying to suggest is that that ornament is, how can I say this? Ornament is held by spatial circumstance. It in itself has a limited commitment to space other than almost the Pythagorean, such as something repeating or rotating or changing direction. Um, you, 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 you have the one-dimensional, you mentioned the Egyptians in that respect, then you have the two, now we have the three and the four. Um, ornament still clings to the basics of, of un understanding those concepts somewhat numerically. And I think that's why the geometry stays in ornament comfortably, whereas it does not necessarily stay in sociology comfortably. Um, when you get into the cultural arenas, politics, uh, religion, um, uh, modern uh, behavioral phenomenon, space takes on a, uh, a concern that that ornament serves but is not really intrinsic to ornament itself. Does that make sense? I think it does. I think that what we're arriving at is a kind of distinction, part of the distinction between ornament and decoration is that decoration being more attached to the social. If one is trying yes. to understand how built form changes through these epistemic shifts, say there's a radical change in what, in what number is how the human brain sees number from one civilization to the other, then it would obviously have a greater impact on decoration than which is linked to the social than it would on ornament, which is linked to the space itself, um, obviously influenced by the decisions of the builders, but far more uh, determined by space and relation than... Um, than by something epistemological. Would, would you say that that's the case? Yeah, sure. Um, I would. Uh, I think a simple way to do all this is to think of, of ornament, still continue to think of ornament from a geometric standpoint that is animated by things like plants and serpents and all sorts of other living forces that are also 
can be reduced or installed in a geometric construct. Whereas when you move over into the phenomenology of culture, of space, of politics, it's a different arena. Yet the two can go together. The two can, can play, the two belong together at the end of the day. And of course, that's not the end of it. Be sure to stop by texture.com. That's T three X T U R E dot C O M. Kent Bloomer and I get on to talking about his background in nuclear and particle physics, as well as his built projects and much more next time on Lapsus Lima. <laughs>